How are you doing, Arizona Nation? I'm your host, Dax. Gabe, Brandon, and I are ready to bring you another episode of the Arizona Podcast. Brandon's the villain, and you're just a hostage. If you drop to the flat, it's going to be a great day. So whenever I'm stepping over your head like an ostrich. Yeah, crazy. Groupies been waiting for this. Suckers been hating for this. You know why? PJ get down in the stands today. It's going to be a great day. Because so many of y'all are late to this. Jealous is how... <laughs> Intentionally, but then start to love it because I made it eventually. Pumping the music, I keep. Are you gonna like open up your hips today? The music like pumping, cause Ren ain't in it for nothing. I keep the average crowd jumping. Yo, you know the. Are you gonna line up in your gap today, Seven? Color, the villains in black. Always down, I make noise and attack. So you better get back. Unless you wanna come with it and make your face like. I want our knees bent, I wanna bust down low, I want our eyes up. I'm talking and close your eyes when I hit it. You're screaming with fear, but it's with. Eyes up, eyes up, eyes up, right there. Good, good, stay low. We gotta have good palo. Say go. Fear that you're screaming, you're waking up in a sweat cause Ren is giving back dreams and I'm not scheming I'm just telling the facts that's how it is when in WA starts to jack right here right here right here right here right here eyes up camp is kicked off and we have a full update uh, remember we are the Echo Romeo Alpha podcast when you subscribe and search for us follow the podcast at podcast zona follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Encinas and follow Brandon at U of A Bear Down 07 Email the podcast at ArizonaPodcast at gmail.com and like the Facebook page on Arizona Podcast. Don't forget to visit Arizona Desert Swarm for all your latest news and information and articles from Gabe and Brandon. Let's get to the news out of camp, gentlemen. Scotty Young is back. Uh, release stated, in addition, the athletics department has determined that he will be suspended for the BYU game. Mr. Young will rejoin the team this week and be allowed to participate in practice activities. Young started nine games as a true freshman last season, ranking uh, ranking sixth on the team with 53 tackles and adding 3.5 tackles for loss and an interception. Uh, We've previously covered the depth at safety and didn't feel like Scotty is necessarily walking back into a starting spot. Brandon, can you revisit the competition and how you see this playing out for him as far as playing time? So I think he actually has, uh, he's going to have a lot of work in order to just garner playing time because uh, Jerry Swallis, in my opinion, and, and in Gabe's opinion too, we think that he both, or we both think rather that he actually has that uh, free safety spot on lock. Um, and then you throw in Isaiah Hayes, who's actually coming back from uh, shoulder surgery last year that kept him out all year. And uh, I actually really think that Hayes will be able to lock down the second spot, uh, especially since he's just an aggressive playmaker. Um, and I think he'll complement uh, Wallace's play a lot. Uh, and then you throw into the mix, uh, Christian Young, uh, Gabe's, <laughs> Gabe's talked a lot about him this week so far, but, uh, for good reason too. Uh, but Christian Young, he can bounce and, you know, from free safety to bandit. Uh, Gabe and I were talking about that a little bit, uh, tonight before we started recording and then, uh, yeah. And then you got ready short who also, uh, can bounce around multiple safety spots, but Scotty's going to have, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of catching up to do. He wasn't even allowed to do the, uh, uh, summer player workouts and conditioning that the rest of the team did. So he's gonna he's gonna have a lot of work to do to get into game shape. But uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how he bounces back from this. Um, it's you know we had uh, both Gabe and I you know we had information from a pretty good source that he was he was gonna be transferring and then 
lo and behold, we get this. So it's kind of kind of interesting development, and uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out. So, Gabe, what do you make of all that with the the previous rumors uh, with him transferring and now this announcement? Any any thoughts in that regard? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting how it all played out. Um, I had been in contact with his dad for quite some time throughout his off-season troubles and uh, just going back and forth on email and uh, yeah, I think yesterday or maybe two days ago, he had told me that uh, my son is transferring. And so that kind of, uh, I know that the Daily Star had some stuff going up on his court case being pushed back and that was going to have some complications. So figured it was related to that. And then uh, this kind of came out of nowhere today after practiced um, this afternoon and yeah, something must have changed, or I don't know, maybe they had a change of heart over the last day, or really 36 hours or so. Um, just really interesting to see that he uh, is coming back, and really it's going to be up to Sumlin and, and how far he wants to throw him down on the depth chart and how much he's going to make him work to come back and see the field. Like Brandon said, it's pretty much going to be Jarius Wallace starting. Isaiah Hayes probably has number two, and then you kind of can bounce around with a few other guys. Antonio Parks played back there for a little bit. Christian Young can certainly play at free. And then you have Scotty Young, who came on strong as a freshman, but just off-field troubles and then injuries kept him off the field. So definitely one of Arizona's strongest positions right now. Khalil Tate made the cover of Sports Illustrated. Are you a curse guy, Gabe? Uh, for Madden, I'm a curse guy. I'm a big curse guy. I, I don't, I don't like that. But for Sports Illustrated, I don't see the harm. I mean, there's a lot of Sports Illustrated issues. Uh, I feel like those are what maybe biweekly. Um, but for me, I'm not too worried about it. I was actually on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Nick Johnson whenever he was here. That was my junior year where they had the fan covers. So I'm right next to Nick Johnson's you, head. I remember you tweeting that out because that, that was a huge group photo, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm to the to the left of Nick Johnson's head on the other side of the basketball. But, uh, yeah, not a big curse guy for Sports Illustrated. I'm not too concerned about it, but I do think it is uh, good publicity for Arizona just to have Sports Illustrated anoint him as the top quarterback in the country. And they've really been showing Arizona a lot of love this whole offseason. I think in their top 25, they had them at 19. Khalil's been in the top 10 of pretty much every list you can think of for quarterbacks and players in the country. So uh, pretty cool to see him in the spotlight and just Arizona getting some good publicity right now and a lot of hype surrounding the team. So no ill effects from being on the cover for you then, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I think he can stay injury, injury free and, uh, it'll all work out. <laughs> well, since you, uh, since you mentioned it, uh, Michael Lev wrote an article about, uh, basically arguing that the university wasn't adequately promoting Khalil Tate and taking advantage of marketing uh, the SI cover and all the publicity he's getting, as you mentioned, from Sports Illustrated to ESPN. Uh, You name the list, he's on it. Uh, Brandon, do you think this is a missed opportunity for Arizona to to market the program and more specifically Khalil Tate? Uh, I'm not. hmm. That's a good question. I'm not 
sure how I feel about that one yet. Um, because, uh, as Gabe said, I mean, sports illustrated has given Arizona a lot of publicity. I can't tell you how many times just uh, scrolling through my Twitter feed, either the PAC 12, uh, the conference themselves or PAC 12 channel or, uh, even ESPN. I like, I remember, um, and I saw Matt Moreno tweeted the same thing. I was just flipped on ESPN and boom, Cleo Tate was on, on our screen. Uh, so I mean, he gets a lot of uh, publicity as is. Um, you know, I think that could the university do more? Sure. Um, but uh, one one interesting thing too is uh, I think it's uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe. I think you might know, but I think his mother or his brother runs a site for Khalil. Um, and it's not like it's not at Khalil's request. It's literally just because he has such a breakout year. Yes. Uh, last year and had so many like accolades and everything. Um, it's kind of like a hype hype website and it's actually pretty well done. Um, so that, you know, if, if, you know, you could just follow Khalil's mom on Twitter and find that, or even one of his brothers. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the university can do more, but, uh, it could be just Kevin Sullivan just kind of like being cautious at this point, which I understand it's his first year. He wants to make sure that Khalil's more ready for the season than, than distracted. But I don't, I don't, and but I don't think that Khalil obviously gets all that distracted um, when it comes to that type of stuff uh, just personally, but it could be just, you know, someone and staff just kind of like just keeping everything at arm's length, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm hearing you. It is interesting. It does seem like it's coming from Sublin, and he feels like, you know, the guy doesn't have a whole lot of starts under his belt, sort of uh, trying to shield him from the the scrutiny and the expectations. Um, Gabe, if, if the university is going to launch a Heisman uh, campaign, shouldn't they be doing it now? And does the fact that they're not doing it make you think that they're looking towards his senior season? Yeah, it is pretty interesting because when you look back, or even just that a lot of Heisman candidates, you see a lot of the athletic programs hyping up their guys for for the Heisman. Will Greer has a lot of that at West Virginia and Stanford with Bryce Love. And when Kadeem was in his final season, they were really pushing that here at Arizona. So it is interesting. Uh, maybe it is a lot of Sumlin and just him kind of wanting to kind of lay low, maybe not set the expectations so high in his first year, because that could really set him back. Kind of kind of how Rich Rod was maybe a victim of his own success after 2014, uh, kind of set the bar a little too high there. So maybe he just wants to lay low for a little bit and let uh, Khalil just kind of operate under his first true season as a starter. And then, yeah, probably work it into his senior year. I see him coming back regardless of what happens next season. Uh, I think his family is very into the big education and getting a degree aspect of it. Um, so I think overall, yeah, you probably just save it for senior year, but it is interesting how there's really not a whole lot of Khalil Tate being sold. It's mostly just all of these other outlets that are giving Arizona the attention. Uh, but overall, I think if, if the numbers come up and if Arizona can start start producing wins and they can get to 9-10 wins and he puts up some of the similar numbers from last season, then I think the Heisman you know, voice kind of speaks for itself after that. 
Yeah, certainly they'd gear up the campaign at that point. Uh, I do agree with you that he's likely to come back. And honestly, if he's going to the draft, it's a good sign for us. He's had a he's had a season for the ages, I would think. Um, you know, one thing to take out of all this, I think, is to remember that this is a regional cover. So uh, I'm not too worried about the old curse settling in. Brandon, do you watch uh, Brad Asshat or, I mean, Sesmat's uh, Football Arizona on Fox? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Um, that's a wise, wise decision by you. It is my own error in judgment to even turn that garbage on because it's mostly ASU trash. Uh, this is the bozo that spent the entire last preseason uh, telling everyone that uh, Kalen Balaj was his vote for Heisman. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, they'll give a vote to anybody on the West Coast. Anyways, his show this week was basically him gleefully hoping that the curse uh, would cause misfortune for the Wildcats and speci- specifically Khalil Tate. Uh, Brandon, what's your take on programs that label themselves as Arizona, but only really market to the Valley? Uh, I just kind of think it's, it's, uh, I mean, I call it the Phoenix complex, really. Um, it's the, the Valley seems to have this complex, uh, compared to Tucson. I've seen Arizona state fans talk about it, uh, saying that like, you know, Tucson's garbage is blah, 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 you know, just because they're a major multiple, uh, metropolitan area. Kind of sad, really. Yeah, you think that uh, if you're going to label yourself as like, oh, we cover all of Arizona, yada, yada, uh, foot, whether it be high school football or just Arizona sports in general, that they would they would uh, include uh, southern Arizona. Um, because I've even seen some, some of these uh, valley – uh, news outlets that you know mainly cover uh, ASU, but they'll even cover like Northern Arizona, at least up into like the Flagstaff area. So it's, it's kind of interesting that that Southern Arizona kind of gets um, crapped on, really, from Valley media outlets. Uh, but but at the same time, just it's just not really that surprising, I guess. Yeah, definitely a big-time inferiority complex going on there. You can kind of see the same thing going on with GCU, how they they refuse to acknowledge them, even though they're right there in their backyard. (laughs) Uh, I would argue ASU has uh, enjoyed an incredible uh, populist center as an advantage and really hasn't capitalized on it. Gabe, as an Arizona alumni in the Valley, do you get frustrated with the general disdain for U of A in an area that has the most U of A alumni in the nation? It almost seems Valley Media is afraid to hurt Sun Devil feelings by giving the UA even the slightest positive PR. Yeah, I mean, it is, well, it is a little frustrating. One, just the, the lack of coverage, just in general, of news and content for U of A up here. I feel like the Arizona Republic, they'll just uh, kind of filter through the Daily Star articles and then just repo or share those from the Daily Star. Um, and then just when you get to the, like the radio stations, those are just completely catered to the sun devils and just everything is pro asu nothing's ever wrong i mean they thought that herm edwards was a slam dunk hire so (laughs) it was just it's just crazy to think that um you know u of a doesn't get as much coverage as it does especially when like you said um it's so dense in alumni and i don't know there's i maybe yeah i don't know maybe it makes uh you know, U of A a little bit closer up here in the Valley and just more, more of a community, I'd say, because also ASU is just so far spread out and you have uh, four major sports team or four major professional sports teams up here where ASU just kind of gets lost in the mix. But here, I don't know, I think U of A is a pretty tight knit community and they all kind of acknowledge each other. If you see 
people out on the town or whatever. And I don't know, it's interesting to see. And uh, I recently just got my U of A license plate for my car. And so uh, proudly sporting that around town and driving that. But yeah, just crazy to see all the ASU media and just no regard for U of A at all up here. Yeah, yeah. Bear down, man. Strong work repping. Um, every time I'm uh, up in the Valley, I, I do notice that you point that out. If you if you run into a U of A uh, alumni, they really go out of their way to say hi and sort of welcome you to the Valley when there's sort of this general uh, uh, overcast of negativity towards you when you're when you're rocking U of A gear in the Valley. Um, but it is what it is. Um, so let's move on to camp. Uh, most recently, Marcel Yates stated in his uh, post-practice availability, I gave myself a certain amount of time. When I came here in 16 and I looked under the hood and saw what I had, to me, I said three or four years would be enough to recruit the right kinds of guys. Last year, Arizona ranked 113th out of 130 FBS schools in deficiency efficiency index. The Wildcats didn't crack the century mark in defensive drive success rate touchdown rate or touchdown rate after first down. They did break to the sub 100s in available yards and first down rate at an uninspired 99th and 92nd respectively. There is a silver lining though. The Cats were 40th nationally in turnover rate. Gabe, is it fair to characterize this season as make or break for Yates? Uh, I think so. I think it's interesting to see how much Marcel Yates will have under Kevin Sumlin now. I feel like a lot of people thought that Rich Rod really uh, kind of limited Yates and what he could do. Really, it's it was more of a 3-3-5. At least you still have three linebackers, although Wilborn is kind of that true defensive end linebacker hybrid that you want. But it's going to be interesting to see. He's got a lot of his guys that they recruited. And last year, I think kind of a mixed bag just because you had so many freshmen and now really there's not a whole lot of excuses not to improve. I mean, it's going to be hard not to improve to begin with, but um, you know, to see a big jump, I think there's, there's not an excuse when you have three sophomore linebackers, all freshmen, all Americans among some sort of list out there. Uh, Your defensive lines looking the best it has in the past six years, at least you have two lockdown corners coming up and then your safeties is probably your deepest group and you can kind of mix and match a bunch of guys all over the place so really I think this could be Arizona's most talented defense that they've had in a while and it's really up to him to put his guys in place and you know put them in position to make plays and capitalize and you know drop that points per game and the yards per game down drastically Uh, I think It'll be interesting to see if they have a similar year where guys are just, you know, dashing them up on on passing and they can't stop the run. It's going to be really interesting to see all of that play out. But, uh, I mean, yeah, he's got all his pieces and really he's recruited a lot of the guys already and they're playing early. Whether that's, I think a lot of it is because of the talent level. I think a lot of these kids that they brought in, Colin Schooler, Tony Fields, P.J. Johnson now, a lot of these guys have that high caliber level that they can play in the Pac-12, but also just the depth wasn't there for them. Really mismanaged a lot of kids, transferred, got kicked out of the program. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of opportunity for these young guys to come in and step in, and they really proved that they can play. And so now, 
yeah, this is his big make or break year for sure. Yeah, you make a good point about the transfers and the medical retirements. I mean, it used to be a, a yard-long list of kids that, that committed to the program and didn't end up producing at the university. Uh, that certainly has uh, been a big script flip uh, for Yates. Prognosticators like uh, Phil Steele uh, put a lot of emphasis on returning players. The Wildcats, as you mentioned, are returning the Pac-12 leader in interceptions and Lorenzo Burns. They have Kylan Wilborn, who is fifth in sacks in the Pac-12 with 7.5. We have freshman All-Americans Colin Schooler and Tony Fields coming back, not to mention our number one cornerback, Jace Whitaker. His coverage was a large part of the reason Burns had so many opportunities at those Pac-12 leading interceptions. The defensive line appears to be in position to improve with the likes of Beef, P.J. Johnson. Uh, Brandon, how much improvement is possible with this team this season? I actually think that there's a lot of – not just room improvement, but I, I uh, hate to use this phrase, but I think we should expect improvement. Um, I don't, I, I don't say like, don't, don't obviously don't have your, your hopes too high. Otherwise, you know, uh, it, it'll, you know, oh, you know what happens, but I, I would say just, I, I would expect at least the defense to be better than it was last year. Um, and hell, uh, even better than the past two years, just because, the like like Gabe said like the the line I don't remember last time the defensive line looked like this. Um, it looks like a college defensive line, and uh, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Colin Schooler and Tony Fields, uh, even Lorenzo Burns for that matter. But holy mackerel, uh, Coach B, which is uh, the strength and conditioning coach Brian Johnson, that he has got these kids looking like college players now. Um, I think, uh, you know, and you mentioned medical retirements, a lot of that does have to do with like injuries in in high school and stuff. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of these kids get injured in camp and stuff. Um, I I think it was just the nature of Rich Rod's system. It just, it just seemed like it it really didn't focus on durability. Um, whereas, you know, uh, Brian Johnson's coming from Texas A&M, you know, SEC program. So, you know, they play big and fast and everything like that. So it looks like he's got these guys ready for uh, at least durability wise and, and, and size wise. And even, um, you know, listening to Whitaker and even um, Belky, uh, he, you know, they all talk about how they're bigger, faster, stronger and stuff like that. I don't think I don't think that's just lip service. You know, all the experience that Schooler Fields, uh, Wilborn Burns, you know, all, all the experience that those guys got last year, I think is cannot be replaced with anything else um so i I expect a a, a jump at least in production um for for the defense this year it may not be what everyone's hoping or expecting but i think it'll be a lot better a lot better than the past two years yeah you you make a point of the experience and uh, yates in his in his post-game uh press conference made a point about how especially the the linebackers uh were you know learning on the fly and and you know basically were young kids and then now they're coming back and they've been there done that so i think that's a great point uh, my my dirty little secret is i really expect most of the improvement in this team's record to come from improvement in the defense which and i don't think it's unfair to use the word expect at all brandon i i think you know we were 113th uh, last year it's you know going down certainly would not be good and, and improvement 
you know, even a modest amount of improvement, uh, you know, middle, uh, you know, 50th percentile, a median type team is really going to make a huge difference in, in the number of wins I think we can accumulate. But I think that coupled with an improvement in our special teams is going to be huge. Uh, speaking of which, have, have either of you guys heard anything about uh, Klumpf and his transfer? Uh, he hasn't been uh, participating in camp yet, correct? He, he actually uh, just started participating tonight. Oh, great. Good news. Yeah, I was a little worried about that, but the staff didn't seem too concerned. So uh, good to hear that he's going to be a big, big improvement for us, for sure. Gabe, uh, I know you just wrote on Arizona Desert Swarm about uh, CBS's projection for the Cats to make the Holiday Bowl this season. The Holiday Bowl is traditionally the third best Pac-12 bowl. Uh, would you consider third in the pack uh, to be a successful season? You know, it's interesting because I wait for the comments and some of the tweets underneath the article to come out and kind of a mixed bag. I feel like some people felt like it was a little underwhelming. I think some people are really kind of eyeing a Pac-12 South championship this year. And then some are kind of in that eight and four range. And and that's a successful season for me. I do think that the holiday bowl is a success considering it's the third best bowl. And it's hard because I, I don't think the Pac-12 makes the college football playoff. I'm not sold on Washington. Uh, so that automatically takes in the Rose Bowl because that's not a part of the college football playoff this year. Uh, and then you have US. They had USC going to the Alamo Bowl and then Arizona. And I think that's pretty fair, especially considering, you know, I maybe the Alamo Bowl is a little bit too aggressive right now. I think it's just hard to always count USC out, but everything is in place for Arizona to succeed. And I don't rule out a Pac-12 South championship. You have uh, a strong offense led by Khalil Tate. The offensive line is really the only worry right there. Uh, but you have J.J. Taylor back there with him. And in the defense, you pretty much return everybody. It's Kevin Sumlin, and it's a favorable schedule for the Pac-12. And, you know, like I said, I don't think that the Pac-12 makes the college football playoff this year. So, just kind of seems like a down year for the Pac-12, and I think that Arizona can take advantage. And even with that, I still feel like the Holiday Bowl is is a good spot to be in. It's interesting to see the rest of the Pac-12 just because you have Utah, they have them in the San Francisco Bowl, and then Oregon in the Sun Bowl. I'm a little surprised at those, but I, I don't know. I feel like Utah, uh, someone tweeted at me today, they're, um, gosh, they're one of the most, like, overrated teams or underperforming teams over the last few years. And it is kind of true. You kind of hear that, you know, every sure it year wasn't me tweeting at you, Gabe. Maybe it was. <laughs> I think, I think the word was a uh, fraudulent. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Fraudulent. Yeah. That's a, that's a, sounds like something I would say. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it is a good point. And, you know, they're the only team not to win the Pac-12 South as of yet. And then, Oregon, I'm not so big on the Justin Herbert hype, uh, but it's kind of like USC. They have a lot of talent, and you know, I don't know how much stock you want to put into uh, their coaching changes up there, but the rest of the league for Cal, they have them in the Cactus Bowl, Colorado in the Las Vegas Bowl. Those seem pretty fair, but overall, I'll take the Holiday Bowl. Uh, the Alamo Bowl would be fantastic. To make the Pac-12 South championship game, that would be a feat in itself. And obviously you don't want it to be one-sided like that Oregon game in 14. But for right now, 
given the expectations, I'm perfectly fine with the Holiday Bowl. Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the bowls are allowed to select teams based on basically who they want within so many spots of the ranking. They're not absolutely tied into their spot. Is that correct? Yeah, from, from my understanding, it's it, it goes in that order of, I guess, so the Holiday Bowl would be the third team to pick, uh, or the third bowl to pick a Pac-12 team. Um, so yeah, potentially it might not be third place, but uh, you know, I guess it does make sense for San Diego to take in Arizona, considering the smaller travel time for sure. Um, right. So there, there's a chance that it could be third or fourth, but uh, yeah, traditionally it is that third spot, but always the off chance that you know they might they might not actually have that third spot. Yeah, I think the rules are about as convoluted as the World Cup as far as uh, tiebreakers. But the point is they, they can select other teams because they don't want to have to pick the same team every year or try and get the fan bases mixed up. And it's more based on what they think it's going to sell as opposed to the absolute rankings. And so it's possible that Arizona could win the South, uh, lose in the Pac-12 title game. Washington can go to uh, the Rose Bowl. Stanford could have a better record than the Wildcats um, and end up at a better bowl. Or USC could be selected for a, quote, higher bowl just because the presumed uh, increase in attendance. Uh, just to dovetail off that, I'm looking up U, uh, Utah's offensive efficiency ranking, and they came in at 89th uh, in the nation last year. So that's always been my my point. They, they always have a real solid defense, um, but getting that offense up and running is going to be a real uh, chore, I think, for them. So last season, uh, Nick Wilson and Zach Green rushed for a total of 926 yards on 194 carries uh, with a total of 17 touchdowns. Uh, Brandon, uh, the expectation is for six foot two, two hundred and two pound former star, f- former four star recruit uh, Nathan Tilford till it, to fill in for most of the vacated production. Uh, he logged just 13 carries for 120 yards, 121 yards, and two touchdowns last season. However, in the spring game, he had 91 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, running back coach uh, Clarence McKinney said, you'd like for a big guy like Nate to be your goal line short yardage guy back in April. What are your expectations for Tilford this season? Uh, I'm not I'm not so sure that he'll be the second back starting the season. Uh, from the sound of everything, it sounds like Gary Brightwell uh, will be, and I don't think that's such a bad thing either because uh, Brightwell's pretty downhill aggressive runner. Um, but but Tilford, he'll he'll have a, a more expanded role this year than he did last year. Uh, he won't just be playing special teams, you know, or uh, you know, getting 13 yards or sorry, 13 carries uh, for the season. I think he can definitely get up to about probably about maybe I'll say 50 um, anywhere from 50 to 70 carries this year uh, just because of how deep the running back uh, group is. And, you know, you want to rotate these guys out to keep fresh legs and everything. Uh, He does have that talent to be that breakthrough, um, just destroyer destroyer of worlds running back um, that, that you want. Um, But I think his, in his biggest uh, downfall is just grasping the playbook, uh, grasping the little nuances of being a running back, such as uh, pass pro. Uh, once he gets that down, I think he'll he's just he, he'll easily. Once Taylor's gone, uh, he'll he'll be probably number one just based on his talent um, and, and size and everything. So, but I think that Clarence McKinney is that type of guy and that type of coach to get. Um, 
to get Tilford to grasp those concepts, such you know the little nuances of the position. So I'm really interested to see how he actually develops this year because we didn't really see him develop too much last year. We just saw him here and there run the ball. Uh, he did look good running the ball, and you know during the spring game you really saw what he can do when he has the ball in his hand. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to his development and and see where he can go uh, by the end of the year. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. And also, if you think back to Zach Green, he was like the ultimate fantasy football vulture on touchdown. So um, I could see Tilford filling into that role, no Man, problem. You get Zach Green inside the 10-yard line, that dude was automatic. Yeah, he was like a little tiny uh, ping-pong ball bolt bouncing around in there. Um, also, you know, Tilford uh, receives the ball pretty well, so we know the, the running backs are going to get a lot more passes, a lot more swing passes from from uh, end zone so uh, i think he'll have an opportunity to flourish there too uh, but i do agree with you i think the other backs are being kind of sold short just based on uh tilford's uh ranking when he came in and expectation so uh, i think he will have to unseat those guys so if his talent uh and work ethic bears through he certainly could surpass them but i don't think it's going to be straight out of the gate um, Gabe, uh, you have an excellent article up on Arizona Desert Swarm detailing some of the freshman players making noise in camp. Tell us about CY and Day Day. Yeah, so Christian Young, I'll start with him. He was my number one guy out of the 2018 class. I guess I really just really, really like safeties. I think every year for the past four years, the safety or a safety has always been my favorite. 15 was Paul McGlore, 16 I had Tristan Cooper. And last year I had Scotty Young. This year it's Christian Young. And overall, I mean, his film just really pops out to me. And I think he's one of the most complete recruits that Arizona has gotten in a while. Really just has the size at safety, 6'1", 6'2", is 210 pounds. And uh, he's going to be switching between free and bandit. I'm not sure how much free will go in just because there is quite a bit of a jam there. So I think Bandit's a really good spot for him, and he just has all the tools you want out of a safety. I think he can read uh, a quarterback pretty well. He can find the ball. He'll go up and get it, and he's just pretty quick at at reacting to a run. He can come up. He'll make a hit, and he's really a well-rounded safety, and I think he'll be pushing Demetrius Flanagan fouls quite a bit for some playing time. I think he'll burn his red shirt. He'll burn through those four games, uh, maybe not too quickly. Uh, I, but I think towards the end of the year, he'll be getting some really good reps and, and challenging Demetrius up there at Bandit. Um, yeah, really, I'm, I'm really excited for him, and I'm really glad that uh, a lot of uh, pretty much everyone from the team, anytime you ask who's up and coming, the, the first person is usually either Christian Young or PJ Johnson. Uh, David Coleman, uh, he was a former UCLA commit, flipped over to uh, Arizona pretty late in the process. And uh, he's a really interesting prospect. I think he could play four different positions on defense. He could play weak side. I think he could go stud, uh, bandit, and spur. He'll be mostly playing spur, it seems. And this is kind of an interesting position battle that I'm interested to see. You have Tristan Cooper there, who came in as a two-star kid, started as a true freshman. Last year got bounced back by Dane Krukshank after he switched from corner to spur. Whether that was because they really liked Lorenzo or they just didn't have confidence in Cooper or Dane was just better suited for spur, I don't think we'll really ever know. But now... Spur is pretty much wide open. 
Cooper has the experience and, and a full season of games under his belt. And then he played sparingly last year. Dane really took up a lot of the plays there. Uh, but Davin is turning a lot of heads in camp and just a really interesting prospect, really athletic and really a downhill hitter. He's going to be all over the place next year. And I think eventually he'll start. I think Cooper will probably take the lead, but I think it's only a matter of time until Davin starts full time and is uh, potentially like an all freshman pack 12 type of guy. I think he's, got a lot of potential in him and great size 6'2 210 ish pounds and uh yeah he's just a workhorse and a bull on defense and he's going to be somebody to watch this season nice excited to see those uh freshmen making an impact it makes a nice transition from all the film work we've been doing uh straight onto the field uh brandon i understand mackenzie barnes isaiah johnson and jalen harris are all showing out too tell us about them so i'll start off with jalen harris um he was actually the very first uh, kid I interviewed uh, when I started at AZ Desert Swarm, and I actually find that kind of cool, especially since he was a he's a legacy to the uh, great Sean Harris. But uh, I, man, you know Jalen is just his. You can't keep someone of his talent off the field, uh, and if you do, it, it won't be for very long. Um, you know he looks a lot better this year he looks bigger i mean he's you know six four he's about 210 pounds when he came in last year um ended up getting a shoulder injury and redshirting so he's still you know just a redshirt freshman this year uh now he's up to about 230 um and is just a a monster coming off the edge he has such a quick first step that he can get past an offensive lineman without them knowing what actually happened um so i you know, right now, he, I would say he's third just behind Lee Anderson. Um, and just because Lee Anderson has a little bit more experience, but I would not be surprised by the end of the season if uh, Jalen is actually second at the stud position uh, right behind uh, Kylan. So I'm really looking forward to see what he can do this year. And then we'll move to Isaiah Johnson. Um, you can ask Gabe. He was probably one, he's probably my favorite commit of the, uh, of the 2018 class. He is, he was a tackling machine in high school, you know, always well above a hundred tackles. I think he had like 140 his junior year and like 127 or so his senior year. Um, and you know, he, he came off the edge kind of like Jalen. Uh, he came off the edge, uh, as, uh, I would call him like a stud backer in high school. Uh, so it'd be actually interesting to see, um, what position he plays with Arizona Gabe and I have kind of bounced that back and forth. You know, I think he could be a stud, but at the same time, play Mike linebacker, uh, Gabe thinks he'll just stick out of Mike linebacker. So he'll probably play Mike. Um, and I mean, have you seen this kid? He's like six two, two thirty five. He just looks jacked. Uh, he looks like a college ready linebacker. So, uh, I expect him to at least play the four games in red shirt this year, just to get that, uh, pack 12 experience. And then, uh, you got McKenzie Barnes, uh, who I think is kind of an underrated corner uh, coming out of high school. Uh, he came out of Edison High School in Fresno, and Edison always produces a lot of really good defensive players. Uh, that's where current uh, Arizona commit Quabena Watson's from. So, um, you know, that just kind of tells you the type of players they have. Uh, Barnes, big, lanky kid. He's like 6'2", 180 pounds, so he can, you know, he can add some more weight. But uh, he has these these long, lanky arms that he he uses to disrupt um, 
plays or just like rip the ball out of the receiver's hands and stuff like that. So he's actually really good, um, an instinctive corner in my opinion. Um, he's actually really good in press coverage. Uh, he has the speed to keep up with receivers downfield and obviously the length um, to to fight with the ball or fight for the ball rather. So. Um, I, I actually expect McKenzie to see to see the field this year just because of the cornerback depth. I mean, yeah, you have Jace and, and Lorenzo, but you also want to make sure those guys stay healthy too. So uh, Barnes is one of those people I can see rotating in with like uh, um, Azizi Hearn, uh, who's actually been making a lot of noise this year in camp, or uh, Tim Hugh, uh, the new guy. He actually practiced for the first time today as well. Um, so... Uh, but, yeah, I expect Barnes to also play some time. Yeah, uh, you bring up that point about the guys looking really ripped, and I remember that uh, you mentioned that picture of Colin Schooler and the guys coming through the strength and conditioning program, like you mentioned, really have looked impressive coming out of their summer program. So uh, they're taking advantage of those opportunities, and, and, it, and it's showing. Um, uh, wide receiver is an interesting group. Uh, Gabe uh, recently wrote about it on Arizona Desert Swarm. I think we all expect uh, Shun Brown to hold down the number one spot out of the slot. Um, the hope really is that six foot five uh, Sean Poindexter will live up to the expectations in his senior season. Um, uh, Coach uh, Mazzoni uh, said, I really like all those guys inside, Shun and Brian Castile and Tony Ellison. I feel really good about those guys. Uh, Brandon, how do you feel about the inside wide receiver depth? I actually like it. I mean, like you said, you have guys with experience like Tony and Shun. Um, I actually really like Brian Castile. He, uh, very underrated coming out of high school, a very, um, actually quick, uh, quick, quick twitch muscles. Um, you know, he can move for a guy his size. So I, and he has really good hands. And the only catch he had last year was actually a very remarkable 24 yard catch down the sideline. So, uh, that was just an, a glimpse of what he can do. And, uh, you know, I can't forget the little firecracker Stanley Berryhill. Um, he really broke out during the, the spring game. Um, Gabe and I have talked about him before too. And I, we, we both think that he'll actually, um, break out this year. I kind of gave him a kind of low balled him on catches, but the more I think about it, I probably should give him more. Um, you know, I, I predicted he had 12 catches. I probably should have thought more about that before I, I put that out there. And then, you know, I've another thing I talked to Gabe about, I'm just hoping that Devon Cooper can break out. Finally, if he doesn't break out this year, I don't think he will. That'd be okay. Especially since you have the four guys with Tony, Sean, uh, Brian and, and Stanley. So I think the, Inside receivers are actually looking uh, to be pretty good shape. Yeah, we would be remiss not to give uh, Stanley Berryhill the th- Stanley Berryhill the third some attention. Uh, at five foot nine, um, he dropped a monster seven receptions for 103 yards and a touchdown in the spring game. Um, number one cornerback uh, Chase Whitaker said Stanley Berryhill has improved a lot this year. He's going to step up, and I think you guys are going to see him a lot this year, making some exciting plays on Saturday nights. What are you expecting from Berryhill, Gabe? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I was on the Stanley Berry Hill train after the spring game, his freshman year. So this past season, you kind of heard his name here and there uh, throughout fall practices. But I mean, we finally got to see him come out, and I think this offense is really going to benefit him with Noel's, you know, shorter pass games and a lot of screen passes or quick passes behind the line of scrimmage. And I think he makes his money where he's just making guys miss and. For for me, 
I think he's more of a guy who won't exactly dance around at the line of scrimmage. He'll just go straight up the field and, and try to burn you. And so I'm really excited for him. I think, you know, the slot is, is in a good spot. Like Brandon mentioned, you have Sean and Tony. Those are your two go-to guys. And then Brian Castile. I, I remember Brandon watching his film and he was really high on him the day he committed. Um, and he seems to have gotten a lot bigger in size this off season. I think he put in a lot of good work and he's going to be a good guy to watch. And I don't know, Stanley's just so intriguing. And I think he's someone that can deliver uh, just a ultra elusive guy in the slot and, you know, kind of a mix of like Samaji Grant and like JJ Taylor, I guess in the slot, if you had to use Arizona comparisons here. So I'm really excited to see him play, and I think he'll end up uh, with a pretty good season and eventually working his way up to a scholarship role. Yeah, I know he stated that as one of his goals, and uh, and I do like the comps, Gabe. I think it helps people who, who don't have as much um, time and uh, interest in looking at all the high school film that you guys do when you comp them to Arizona players. I, I do think that helps people. I know it's kind of a – a passe thing to do, but I think for the more casual fan, it, it really is helpful. Um, uh, he's also got the best smile on the Arizona website for <laughs> sure. Uh, no doubt there. Coach Mazzoni went on to say right now we have some competition on the outside. We got Poindexter out there, but Cedric Peterson needs to come on and there are some young guys. I think this is going to be the more interesting segment for you guys because there's going to be a lot of impact freshmen potentially in the outside wide receiver group. Gabe, um, tell us about the former 2015 three-star Peterson and some of those freshmen who may push for some playing time on the outside. Yeah, so Cedric Peterson, kind of one of the more overlooked recruits, I guess, coming out of high school. He was in the top 800. And for me personally, I I like to see guys in the top 800. I feel like that's kind of uh, where you start getting better at ranking guys. It doesn't seem just so random. Uh, had offers to Cal, Colorado, Indiana, Nebraska, but ended up at Arizona. Uh, I think he primarily played corner out of high school, but flipped over to wide receiver. And uh, yeah, just redshirted his freshman year and then had some bad luck with injuries the year before that. I think it was a broken foot that he suffered and that kept him out, but actually put up some, uh, some stats last year. And for me, I, I don't necessarily think that he is a guy that, will immediately win the job i do think that it will be a freshman coming in um i just think that they have a lot more potential and a lot more talent to start with um you know and peterson just kind of has this injury history that's kind of holding him back as well and you know it's been three-ish years and hasn't really seen the field much uh when he was healthy so it is interesting to to see who is going to be on the outside and complement poindexter and you also hope that Poindexter is going to live up to some expectations, but I think there there are three guys who Mazzoni was probably alluding to at the outside. Uh, first one, I'll start with Trey Adams, a big 6'3", 200-pound receiver out of Texas. I think he's probably the most polished out of the freshmen that came in, uh, really just sound in everything that he does, good route runner, has good speed. He can track the ball up in the air and come down with it. I can move a little bit after the catch. And for me, I think he really reminds me of Trey Griffey, um, just kind of really a well-rounded receiver. And 
it's going to be interesting to see how they manage this whole red shirt rule with the four games with these freshman receivers. Cause I could see them being used quite a bit and burning that red shirt. Um, and I'd be okay with that. I think there will be a lot more passing with Khalil Tate and Noel's offense, a lot less kind of free for all runs and a lot more, just a lot more better situations for Khalil to pass in as well. Uh, especially Sean, I think it was the first day of camp. He was saying that it was more uh, some option routes and they were reading the, the defenses and you really had to be on the same page, but now they're looking at more uh, solidified routes. Just this is your route and you're running it. So I think that's just going to help bring you back to basics for everybody. Uh, so going back to some freshmen, Thomas Marcus, man, this guy is, uh, he's going to be incredible to watch. I think he has so much upside He's 6'2", 210-ish pounds, and he's just a freak athlete. And uh, I think he's a little bit more raw, could use some work on route running. And I think sometimes he is a little bit too greedy. I think he'll always go for that home run play, always looking to extend the play. Um, really will just go for the one-handed catch and try to get on the highlight reel. So I think if he can kind of tone that down and bring it all together, I think he's going to be – an awesome player in Arizona. He, he can do it all. He explodes off the line. He'll come down with the ball. He can make guys miss after the catch. And, uh, you know, it looks like he has Stanley Berry Hills moves out there after he makes the catch. So he's going to be really fun to watch over the next few years. And I, I think he'll burn his red shirt for sure. Um, and then last one, Joshua Zott, Scott, I don't know how, if we ever determined <laughs> how, how we'll pronounce that, but he was the, late addition to the roster a few weeks ago kind of this gem that they found through connections with noel mazzoni and uh six three 210 ish pound another so all these guys are six two plus and uh he, he's a really interesting prospect really didn't get recruited was going to commit to colgate college uh now in arizona through all his connections and uh, really interesting, kind of a combination of Trey and Thomas, I think, with uh, just their route runnings. I, I think he kind of has the best of both of them. Maybe not so much Thomas's athleticism. I think his Marcus Thomas Marcus is incredibly athletic, and not sure Josh is at that level, but I think he's kind of a really good mix of the two. Um, and he's going to be interesting to watch, and so he'll be on scholarship come springtime. And uh, those are three freshmen that are going to be here making plays for the next four years easily. So uh, I feel, I feel good that I feel like either two of them at least will be playing very heavily in the offense and pushing Cedric Peterson. And uh, they're going to be making plays a lot this season with Khalil. Yeah, I feel like with Josh, it's uh, it's from that scene from uh, Superman Neil before Zot. So uh, right there's uh, how I'm going to pronounce it from here from here on going forth. No one else gets that joke but me because you guys are probably all too young. But uh, I think it's super funny. Gabe, when is the last time you can think that a senior U of A wide receiver lived up to his expectations for his final season? I think we've been pretty snake bit in this regard. Yeah, it's that's pretty hard to tell. I think there have been a lot of big time receivers who you just kind of hope that they would have progressed uh, over the years. And I think the last one that you really would have hoped for was Cam Denson. Um, and he's now at NAU as a grad transfer. Uh, just 
all the talent in the world, but just flip, started at corner, probably not the best spot for him, uh, and then flipped over to wide receiver and just had some injuries that he dealt with and was really never the same that he was back at South Point. Uh, so that was disappointing. And then, uh, let's see, Caleb Jones didn't come back for his senior year. So that was, and that was coming up, might have been the 2015 season. So, um, you know, and that was with him and Scooby together. You wish that both of them probably would have come back. Uh, Trey Griffey, you know, he was kind of there, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if people had as high expectations for him. I think Nate and Samaji kind of filled those in. Uh, Samaji and Nate themselves, they produced all four years, and those were pleasant. But, yeah, over the last few years, Arizona really hasn't had a breakout guy that really took over going into his senior year. Um, it's ho- Hopefully it is Sean. I, I mean, all the, everything's there for him to, to be dominant. He had the connection late with Khalil Tate. I think most of his catches came in the second half when Tate was in. And the deep ball is a lot better with Tate than it ever was with uh, the previous quarterbacks at Arizona. And so you're hoping that he finally steps up 6'5", huge body, and just hopefully become a red zone threat at the very least and can take the top off of defense and open up kind of the short game for uh, the rest of the slot guys and those quick passes. But, yeah, for, for Arizona, at least in my recent memory, there's been a lot of guys who – well, for Arizona, they haven't really recruited a whole lot of wide receivers aside from – uh, Sean and I guess Tony, there really hadn't been any other receivers that had really come in aside from that initial group of Trey, Samaji, Nate, and then Caleb was in the mix. So wide receiver is interesting, and, and now is kind of the time that you need guys to step up. And they reloaded uh, this past year, and you have those three freshmen, like I mentioned before. But yeah, you really need Sean to, to step up and, and finally come in for a senior year how about you brandon anybody you can think of that really put it all together for their senior year and built on their previous experience and and nailed it and and left uh, riding off into the sunset for arizona football i thought austin hill did a great job you know yeah. i'm taking i'm taking it back a little bit to the four, no, I, to go the, back as far as you want because you're gonna have to go away yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i i mean Samaje and Nate Phillips. I mean, those guys were automatic. Those guys were legit. So I think that they made their their uh, impact. But you know, Gabe kind of already alluded to them. But like, as for like a big receiver, Austin Hill, I thought did uh, was was one that definitely did. I mean, he had a killer 2012 season. I think what he had like 1,200 yards or something like that. And then uh, you know the famous Hill Mary against Cal, and in, in in 2014. So. Uh, I, I think he was the last, we'll say, big receiver that uh, you know, big-bodied receiver that that left his mark. Um, you know, you can't. I guess you can say Caleb Jones did as well, but I mean, obviously, he wasn't wasn't a senior. But uh, you know, his his last year was actually pretty pretty solid. Yeah. So, so my whole argument is it's, it's the, we're all remembering the junior years, the Jerron Kreiners, the Hills, the Caleb Jones, they all had that great junior year and then their senior year, they took a dump. So uh, like Austin Hill, his, his sophomore year, uh, he 
caught 81 passes for 1,300 yards at 16.8, and he had 11 TDs. He got injured his junior year. He comes back his senior year. He only had 49 uh, receptions for 635 yards, 13 a clip. Yeah, but um, the Hill Mary, though. <laughs> the Hill Mary was, was definitely bombing, and that was a magical season. But, I, you know, I went all the way back to Money Mike Thomas, and I remember Ooh, okay. him making the, breaking the Pac-12, was it yardage or receptions record in the bowl game was, in uh, Las Vegas? It was a uh, yardage, I think. Yeah, they, um, uh, what was his name? Uh, the kid who worked as a waiter after he was a quarterback. Um, to to oh. Tama. Yeah, and Willie. Yeah. Willie threw him that little tiny bubble screen on that last play when they had the lead. It was very not Stoops esque, and uh, just so he could get the the record, and it was like a little two yard scramble, and he got it. So I remember that moment very distinctly. Uh, but in 2007, he had 83 receptions for you know 1,038 yards and 13 yards a clip with 12 touchdowns, and then his senior year. Uh, 70, 74 uh, receptions, 825 yards, and five five touchdowns. So I just I can't think of anybody who who put it all together, who 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 had a, a progressively improving career at Arizona, and then their senior year really knocked it out of the park. It, it eludes I get, me. I got one for you. All right. How about uh, how me. about how about Cindric Steptoe? Steptoe. You remember him? Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He he actually had a pretty. I remember him having a really solid career the his entire time with the Wildcats. He, he's working in the uh, U of A as, uh, uh, um, you know, some sort of uh, athletics department. Uh, you know, I think uh, he also does stuff with the youth football around Tucson. So I'm having trouble pulling up his stuff. Yeah, let's see if I can find his stats. I know he's. I know he had a great uh, career. What's right here? I think this is worth taking a second for. Here we go. Here we go. Here's his college stats. So, um, yeah. So freshman year, nine receptions, uh, 80 yards. Sophomore year, 30 receptions, 446 yards, 14.4 uh, yard average, three touchdowns. Junior season, 37 receptions, 493 yards, one touchdown. And then his senior year, he had 55 receptions for uh, 568 yards and two receptions. But in that offense, that was probably like uh, the equivalent of like 10,000 yards and 150,000 receptions. I just remember him being like automatic. You know, if if the Cats needed someone to catch a pass, Cindric would get it and get a first down. I, I do remember that very distinctly. There, there's something to be said for the older, uh, you know, three yards on a cloud of dust systems. When you needed that third and 12, to be able to convert it at a high percentage really was a skill, and uh, it's a lot different nowadays. Um, well, let's move on to the offensive line. It looks like uh, the offensive line coach has taken a fresh look at the depth chart. Um Brandon, let's hope you're right about Robert uh, Congle's uh, eligibility next season. He started camp taking the number one reps at center. Now Coach Gilbert has had three different guys on three different days taking uh, snaps at center. Um, Alex Kosinski uh, took snaps uh, today, uh, or excuse me, yesterday. And um, is this a new coach diligence or... Are there concerns about Nathan Eldridge's health, or is this a, an eligibility issue for Congle and they're moving him off the number one? Uh, what, what do you make of that, Brandon? I actually think it's just Coach Gilbert doing his diligence. That's just me personally. He's trying to figure out what combination of guys works better. And if you notice, like, um, you know, guys are moving all around, like Michael Elatise, um, 
it, you know, is poised for a breakout season, but you know, he's been rolling with number twos just to see, you know, how he looks with that group. And then, you know, um, uh, you know, Josh McCauley is running for, you know, first team snaps at, at center or uh, Bryson Kane is, you know, third team right guard stuff like that. I don't think that I don't think it's like, oh, doom and gloom, you know, all kinds of. Yes, the offensive line is the biggest question mark. It is the biggest mystery and it's probably the um, area of most concern on on the offense. But I don't think that coach Gilbert, you know, mixing and matching is, is all that negative. I think he's just trying to find, uh, the best combination, see how his guys, uh, act in, in different situations. And if I remember, uh, I think it was yesterday, Lace actually said that, uh, you know, Gilbert wants the offensive lineman to know at least two positions. So like, you know, a center learning right guard as well, or a, a right tack also learning right guard, uh, just so that they know, um, you know, in case they got to move to that position or even so they know what the guy next to them should be doing, uh, so they can help correct. Um, so I think this is just a different approach than we're seeing from, you know, Jim Michalczyk. Um, so, you know, it, it could be just people reading too much into it, but yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's, just him doing his due diligence and seeing what he's got. Yeah, I think uh, least, uh, listeners need to keep in mind that we're bringing in a new tackle in Michigan State transfer, Thio uh, Lacusa. Um, Lathe Frake's going to have to sit out the first two games, and Coach Gilbert's going to have to replace two-thirds of his starting lineup, so it's certainly reasonable for him to get a fresh fill for everybody. Uh, Gabe, if you had to guess the starting five today, how do you see it playing out by the end of camp? Uh, for right now, I mean, assuming everybody's healthy and I guess avoiding Lathe Freak's suspension, I, or I guess you could start with Lathe Freak at left tackle uh, and then replacing him for his two-game suspension. It's probably going to be Theo Lucusa. Uh, and then left guard, I do think Michael Altice is going to be in there, uh, probably starting for the next few years, in my opinion. Center, I think you have to go with Nathan Eldridge. I do think health might be a little bit of a concern. Um, just has a lot of usage on him. And uh, I think he's he's key to Arizona's season this year. Uh, coming in, I think this is his third year now starting. So uh, he's going to be huge for Arizona. I'll go Bryson Kane at right guard. I could see, um, gosh, who's the offense? Uh, Stephen Bailey, uh, the Juco guy. I could see him pushing him. Uh, quite a bit for some time there. I, I don't think that that is, that's probably the least solidified position I would say right now. Uh, I would, I would keep an eye on for Steven Bailey and then at right tack. Yeah. Right tackle is going to probably be Cody Creason, pretty much like a co-starter with, uh, guard, uh, gosh, what, what's his first name to beer? Garrett, uh, there we go. I don't know why I blanked on that one. Um, yeah, he was pretty much a co-starter with some of the injuries and just kind of, uh, I don't know, Creason just stepping in for him every now and then. So for that, the beer was kind of a starter that you're replacing, but I feel pretty okay with Creason right there at right tackle. So that's my top five. But then after that, that's where you kind of start getting worried. Like there's really not a whole lot of solid options after that. You're hoping that Robert Congo will be eligible. I think he will be. Um, he's listed as a redshirt freshman, uh, which kind of like nullifies his five games that he's played in last year um, and buys him like another year of eligibility. 
And then after that, you really don't have a lot. Alex Kaczynski has kind of been like a swing man the past few years where he can plan, kind of probably play either guard position and back up at center. And then you're, you got a lot of freshman tackles going in. So really Arizona's weakest position right now, you do have Josh McCauley and John Jacobs in there. Uh, McCauley's probably one of the more solidified backups, but just not a second group that you feel pretty confident with. But, you know, hopefully over time, I think it, it works out. And uh, to touch on Brandon's last point, I, I think that um, Gilbert is just kind of doing his due diligence and just kind of trying to just see. Well, one, I think it helps with reps just in general, helping each unit get reps. If you're having Nathan Eldridge, yeah, Nathan Eldridge um, going in with the third team and kind of mixing it up and, I think it gives everybody more quality reps and the third team just isn't getting banged on all, all scrimmage long or whatever. Um, and then you're just kind of seeing what different matches and, and possibilities you can have and who works well together. So uh, it's definitely going to be a work in progress and hopefully they just get better as the season goes on um, and just can protect the little takes. That's really the key to this season. Yeah. If I may actually add on to that. Of course. Um, yeah. So Gabe actually makes another really good point too. So if you get, you know, if if, if Coach Gilbert is is worried about um, Nathan's health, um, especially with his knees, I mean that's kind of what why we didn't really see him during the open scrimmage or the open uh, practices, is because of his knees. Um, and you get guys like Kozinski or Congel or Congel rather um, and McCauley, uh, like quality reps at at center. That to me tells me that they're probably even looking at uh, at times giving Nathan more of a break throughout the game. So he's not just, you know, beat up on the, by the end of the game and, and he's a little bit more healthy so they can, you know, he can be good for the rest of the year. So that's just something that you want as well. Do you think that's a realistic strategy though, bringing a new center in and out with the snap and the transition and, and all the responsibilities a center position has sort of the quarterback of the offensive line? I mean, it, it could easily backfire. I mean, I'm not even going to sit here and pretend that it couldn't. Um, it can very easily backfire. But if you get these guys used to hearing Khalil, you know, used to the uh, rep count or the snap count and everything like that, and used to how he's uh, calling out, it's possible that you could get less errors. But obviously, with what you know, swapping out centers, there's always that possibility that you're going to get you know snap errors. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just um, thinking back to that season. What was the name of that that guard that converted to center and he kept snapping <laughs> the ball over uh, uh, a news head? That was the beginning and, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, came yeah, in Bundy. Yeah. 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 That was <laughs> my seats are in the end zone and I would just watch that ball sail over a news head. It was just absolutely brutal at the most critical moment. Either we were all the way backed up towards our end zone or we were about to go in and score. It was never between the 20s. It was always at the most critical moment. So that was a very without, frustrating experience. Without fail. Yeah, and it was a launch or two. It was like 15 yards back. Um, so, yeah, I was just a little concerned about uh, Eldridge's knees and, and how that's all going to play out. But, of course, uh, we'll have to see. Um, so you guys have mentioned it a couple times, but the buzz from camp is LATSA is really living up to expectations of guards. I think you guys have kind of touched on it. Do you guys want to expand any more on, on what you think about his, his potential ceiling? Cause his, his recruit status was one of the better recruits ever to come to the university, at least in uh, recent memory. And, and I think it's uh, a position where it doesn't have a lot of the, the, 
the glory to it, but it's a critical one, and, and he could end up being an all-time wildcat. I think the fact that he is I mean, he's a big, strong kid, solid base of skills when he got to got to college, and uh, he's that type of he's that type of player um, that loves being taught, wants to be taught, and that coaches love to teach. Um, so I think that his his ceiling is, I, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, through the roof. You know, it's it's well past the ceiling. He, can, he the sky's the limit for him, in my opinion. I think that. Uh, he could definitely go down as one of the all-time um, great Wildcat linemen. And uh, Gabe, if you want to expand on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting just because, one, Arizona really just did not hit on a lot of four-star guys over the last few years. Uh, Alatise was, I think, number 12 or 13 overall all-time for Arizona. And at least, like, in the in the Rich Rod era, you had guys like Keenan Walker uh, kicked off the team. Cam Denson, medically retired. Uh, you had Marquise Ware and Jamadre Cub really hindered with injuries almost immediately as soon as they got there. Um, I think you had a few. Uh, Nick Wilson, uh, probably the most uh, heralded recruit that actually performed, but even then kind of had a real rough junior year and then senior year i think that trio really helped them uh but anyways back i mean that, those are like some of your marquee guys that rich landed and just never really panned out to do much but i think lotise actually has everything i i think he he's in line to to be a three-year starter here at arizona and finally step up as you know a big time rich rod recruit that actually performed and um I think this is his time. I think uh, his ranking was interesting because just coming out of Hawaii, there's not a lot of talent. And I remember uh, during his recruitment, when I spoke to him, uh, he went to the opening um, in Beaverton, Oregon, and he was saying that it was just a lot different, just going up against the top, top dogs from all across the country. He said when he was on the islands, you know, he's the top dog. And now he's going up some of the best competition that he's ever faced. And um, so I think that was really good for him and his development. Now coming in, I think he's in a good spot and he's going to be between Lathe Freak and Nathan Eldridge, your two veterans on the offensive line and two of the most experienced guys on the roster entirely. So I think he steps up into a good spot. I think, you know, he's, he, he's a he's a really nice guy off the field, but he can get nasty on the field, and he'll get after it. And uh, I think that left side is going to be pretty strong. Yeah, another thing about him that's real nice to root for is is he's a kid who just wanted to be a wildcat, and um, you know I, I think his his potential is the league, and and I'm hoping to someday you know be looking back on a brewski Gronk esque career in the NFL and and his contributions at the U of A, and so I think he's an easy kid to to root for. So uh, looking forward to seeing how things pan out this season. I, I think you guys made some good points about the line. Um, you know, it's going to be a work in progress. It's going to be something that's going to develop over time. And um, I, I don't think that what you're going to see in the BYU game is necessarily what you're going to see in the ASU game. And so, and maybe not even from the personnel or the positions, but certainly not how it functions uh, in totality. So I think that's going to be a real interesting evolution and by far the biggest thing to keep an eye on. My other uh, little dirty secret is that I don't think 
uh, Tate um, is going to have as big an impact um, on our overall improvement because I think the offensive line transition is going to be uh, a big challenge for him. I also think defenses are really going to come uh, looking to stop him specifically. So I think our success this season, which you know has been pinned pretty high, is going to hinge a lot on um, our defensive and special team improvements, like I pointed out. But the offensive line uh, gelling at the right time and, and giving Tate an opportunity to do all the things he can do is really going to be what ultimately makes a difference at the end of the season. At, at least that's how I see it playing out. And we're going to get into the our predictions about the season, uh, but wanted to get everybody updated on what's going on in camp and, and all the information we had. Not a lot of uh, high school recruits to cover this week. Um, That'll obviously be something we keep an eye on. And as we go through the season, uh, Gabe and Brandon are going to be uh, talking about some uh, big high school games and some big prospects to watch and what's happening on Friday night. So look forward to that in future podcasts, along with all of our predictions and breakdowns of all the games and, and watching all these uh, position battles play out in camp before our first uh, kickoff against BYU. Uh, gentlemen, appreciate your time and uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, bear down. Bear down. Bear down.